we get to get kind of our jumping off point for this series, we've been talking about the kingdom of God and the church. Acts chapter 18. Verse 24, it says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, and an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took unto them and expanded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And so we've been looking at the kingdom of God and the body of Christ or the church, which is a, a church is a body of Christ. And um, in the last few weeks, of course, we talked about the kingdom uh, being eternal. It goes through phases. Uh, it's invisible right now, as it's referred to in the Bible as invisible. Uh, but it will one day become a visible kingdom when the Lord comes to re- retain. And, of course, uh, we enter the kingdom of God by the new birth. Jesus said, except you're born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And then we talked about the church, which is a visible uh, body. Uh, the word, of course, ecclesia means assembly. And uh, we talked about the metaphors of the church, uh, visible, organized, constituted, a body, a building, and a bride. All those things are visible, uh, local, organized, and constituted. And uh, so... And then we talked a little bit about the universal church theory. Uh, but last week we talked about how the church began. Jesus started the church with materials pre- prepared by John the Baptist. And, uh, and you know, we mentioned or noted that he did not rebaptize the disciples of John that came to him. Uh, they were not rebaptized. Jesus didn't even baptize. His disciples did. John 4 tells us that very clearly. And uh, so. And we talked about how each body, each church is a body of Christ, Colossians 1.18. Of course, 1 Corinthians 1.2, under the church of God, which is at Corinth. And then chapter 12, verse 27 says, you are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And uh, each body is complete in him, or abundantly furnished, as the word complete means, Colossians 2.10, you are complete in him. And so that brings us tonight on page 6 to... The number 10, the damaging effects of the universal invisible church theory. Of course, this, this theory is, of course, very prevalent in our world today. Uh, and, of course, that's the idea that, that everybody that's saved is part of the church, the church, invisible universal church. Uh, this theory was, of course, uh, came about mostly through the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the first really that, that made this official theory a practice. And it's, it's really a uniting, a trying to make the church and the kingdom the same thing. And they are not the same thing. And so that's why they think they have to punish heretics with the sword. <laughs> uh, no, that's what Jesus is going to do when his kingdom comes to earth. No, uh, that's not part of the church you know, we, we do exercise church discipline, but we don't kill somebody who's a heretic, as the Catholics did for hundreds, hundreds for centuries. But anyway, so the damaging effects of the, of course, it diminishes local or loyalty to the Lord's church. Um, 
you know, people will have, have little respect for the church, uh, bec- bec- the local church that is, and I, again, don't like to use that word local because a church is local. I mean, we shouldn't have to clarify, but, it, but, but people who believe in a universal church theory don't have much respect for their churches. Uh, it's always been a, kind of interesting to me that, that uh, I, I remember uh, there was, there was uh, uh, several pastors that, that I've been associated with or had meetings for, and, and one, of them, one of them said something to the fact that, you know, they always lament that people don't, aren't more faithful in their churches. And I said to one of them, well... You know, you diminish the the importance of the local church by this universal church theory. So people don't take the assembly seriously. That's why they have 100 Sunday morning, maybe 40 Sunday night, and maybe 20 or 25 Wednesday night. Because they don't take the assembly seriously. It, it, it diminishes that loyalty, loyalty to, the, to, the, to the assembly. It also promotes church hopping. Hey, if this church doesn't have all the programs I want, I'll just go somewhere else. Really doesn't matter anyway because I'm in the church, the universal church. So it really doesn't matter, does it? You know, how many times have we heard people say, or they call you and they say, uh, you know, we, we saw you with church. What programs do you have? Well, we have preaching. We have teaching of the Word of God. We go visiting. Um, you know, we do have Sunday school classes. Well, what, and it's always, this is always the, click, the clincher. What programs do you have for young people? Well, we have preaching. We have teaching the word of God. We have soul winning. I mean, that's, that's what the New Testament program was for the church in the New Testament times. Um, and again, I'm not against you know, having a youth program, but you know, a, lot of, a lot of it isn't really scripturally founded. Yeah, parachurch with the universal church, another damaging effect is a pair of church organizations replace churches in doing the work of the Lord. So you have mission boards, you have relief agencies, you have youth organizations, you have people like the Gideons, you know, the conferences. Promise Keeper was something that was really going to revolutionize our country. It was built on thrills. As there is a thrill with all parachurch ministries with which we cannot compete. A local church cannot compete with that. Because what they do is you say, well, let's unite all unite our resources and just think of the the effectiveness that we can have if you if we unite our resources. And that sounds really good, but that's a worldly philosophy. That's not found in the scriptures. And I was remember I was out in visitation here in Rollsville some years ago, an older gentleman. He invited me to a a interdenominational men's prayer group. And I said, no, thank you. You know, I'm, I'm not interested. He said, well, he, I, he said, I said, you know, I think, I think there's, God's program is the local church. He said, well, I used to think that too. But he said, the older I get, the more I realize we need to unite together and, 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 and pull our resources. And I said, well... I said, the only problem I have was it was Abraham who separated from Lot who had power with God. Abraham, the separated one, was the one that had the power of God in his life. Um, so, you know, all these things. And you, 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 can have a, you can have a pair of church. And 
uh, ministry for everything, can do everything for you. But they suck money, money and quality personnel from the churches, as do Bible colleges. And four, it promotes compromise. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> this is a verse that always I could not explain when I still, still uh, was, was, you know, being taught the universal church um, methodology and doctrine. This is a verse that could not be explained in that, con- in that context. Verse 24 says, 1 Corinthians 12, 24 says, For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Now, if you're going to hold to a universal church position, say the body of Christ is all saved people all over the world, how are you not going to have schisms? A schism is divisions over doctrine. And we don't all agree. And you never will. With all everybody around the world. So how can we apply that verse to the body of Christ? In a local church setting. Uh, so what this does, it promotes compromise, leads to interdenominational inter- fraternity. You know, we're all Christians, and let's fellowship around those things we agree on. Now, I'm not saying that some people in other churches, fundamental churches, that, that, they, that, that they're unsaved. I'm not saying that. But we don't agree on doctrine. You know, there's what they call Bible Presbyterian. And Bible Presbyterians will baptize by pouring or sprinkling, although they will adhere to the fundamentals of the faith. Look at the fundamentals of the faith. Here's the five fundamentals that they say we need to agree on that are essential for Christianity. The deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, the virgin birth, the blood atonement, the bodily resurrection of Christ, and the inerrancy of the scriptures. So, yeah, we, we agree with those five things. But... You know, when we think about fundamentals, fundamentals are basics, just basics. Uh, we hold to more, not, we, don't, we don't just hold to basics. You know, one of the, th- two of the things that I see missing here is, what about the mode of baptism? And what does the mode of baptism, the proper mode of baptism, picture? It pictures the burial and resurrection of Christ. So if you baptize by pouring or sprinkling, you are in picture form, in typology, denying the burial and resurrection of Christ. What about the preservation of scriptures? Now these, to me, are fundamental doctrines. They're foundational. But many fundamentalist churches say something like this, we believe in the preserved word of God in the original autographs. The only problem is, now it sounds really good. The only problem is there are no original autographs. We don't have any original autographs of Paul or Peter or John or Moses. 
There's no originals. So how can you say we believe in a preserved word of God when you don't have it? What we have are copies. And see, we believe that God preserved his word through his churches, not these Bible publishing houses or parachurch groups. No, through his churches. As we looked last week, the Montanists, the the Waldensians, the Albigenses, the Paulicians, all those kept the scriptures and they kept copying them out. And we believe that God promised to preserve his word. Therefore, we believe that he preserved it through his churches. So, you know, to, to, so to unite for expedience, you know, we lose our distinction and our separation from the world if we just say we would just want to adhere to the five fundamentals of the faith. Um, you know, the, the other paper that I gave you, the difference between independent Baptists and fundamentalists, uh, kind of answers that. You know, fundamentalism is a movement made of men. It was a reaction to the liberalism of the, the denominational churches in the 20s, in the early 1900s. And uh, they, they adhere to uh, creeds. They adhere to, uh, they have movements. Uh, you know, fundamentalism was created by men in the 20th century. Number one, independent Baptists began with Christ. So movements of men come and go. And again... You know, uh, one of the one of the writers, um, George W. McDaniel, said this in his book. People called Baptists said this quote: "There is no personality this side of Jesus Christ who is a satisfactory explanation for the origin of the Baptists. The New Testament churches were independent, self-governing, democratic bodies like the churches of the Baptist churches of today. We originated not at the Reformation nor in the Dark Ages." Not in any century after the apostles, but our marching orders are the commission, and the first Baptist church was at was the church at Jerusalem. Our principles are as old as Christianity, and we acknowledge no founder but Christ. Unquote. So it's not a movement of men started with Christ. Fundamental believes the Bible is a final authority. Number two, independent Baptists believe the Bible is the only authority. So if it's the final authority, you can have other authorities. And, by the way, I almost think a Catholic would agree with those five fundamentals. Look at them again. The deed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Catholics say they believe that. They believe in the virgin birth. Now, they would say that Mary is a virgin still, but they believe in the virgin birth. The blood atonement. The bodily resurrection. The inerrancy of scriptures. Inerrancy means simply it was given in error or free from error. I'm not sure they'd hold to that one. But, you know, again, the, the Bible is not their only authority. Uh, fundamentalism rallies around papers, camps, colleges, fellowships, and independent Baptists around the local church. <clears throat> Many a fundamentalist has built their church through a college. I saw this. We were in Maryland. That, you know, they had a college there, a small one but still brought in people. Of course, colleges, Bible colleges bring quality people from other churches. And many of those people from other churches just end up staying at that church. Or they would do basically the work of the church instead of the people of the church doing the work. Uh, 
fundamentalist number four, fundamentalist favorite question, what school did you attend? Independent Baptist, what's your home church or your pastor? I had a missionary call me today, and he said he was with this mission. No, he didn't, he didn't say where he, was, where he was from or what he was associated with, so I asked him, I said, well, what's your home church? Well, he said, I'm from Burma, and I'm with this so-and-so mission board. And I kindly told him, well, we don't, we're not taking on any missionaries except out of a local church. Um, fundamentalism number five is die movement. Movements die, churches remain. Jesus said, I will build my church. Fundamentalism is placed a great premium on loyalties, independent Baptists on faithfulness to the Bible. You know, are you following so-and-so? You know, paper I used to get when I was in Maine had a big article about Jack House and said Jack House is the epitome of fundamentalism. You know, they follow men. Um, number seven, fundamentalism separates over externals and personalities. Independent Baptists separate over doctrine. And again, I, I understand that because I was involved in that for a while. Fundamentalism, fundamentalists look for methods, seminars. Independent Baptists on preaching. Fundamentalism loves conferences. Independent Baptists love local church revival meetings. Fundamentalists talk about the cause of Christ. Independent Baptists talk about the obedience to Christ. Fundamentalists preach Bible truths. Independent Baptists preach the Bible. A lot of fundamentalist preaching is topical. You just pick out a verse of scripture and you take off with the topic. But real biblical preaching is expositional. Now, I'm not saying you can't ever preach topical as we're doing here tonight, but uh, there needs to be expositional preaching. Uh, fundamentalists use the King James... Independent Baptists believe the King James is the Bible. Fundamentalists believe in essentials, as I said, the five fundamentals there. Independent Baptists believe all the Bible is essential. It's all important. Where, do we, where, who, where did God give us the license to separate out major and minor issues? He didn't. He didn't. All right, so getting back to the damaging effects of the universal church theory... Number five, it renders church discipline ineffective. Local church is second rate. So, and, and this is the, one of the big problems today, why church discipline is ineffective, is because if a guy gets voted out of one church, he can just go join another. And they'll just take him in and ask no questions. That didn't used to be the case. Um. Uh, it promotes so-called Holy Spirit baptism over water baptism. And, of course, the Bible says in Ephesians 4 that there is one baptism. And, again, the Holy Spirit does not baptize. He overwhelms. He empowers. He does not baptize. Jesus baptized them with the Holy Spirit. In other words, he overwhelmed them. He overempowered them uh, with the Spirit of God. He does not baptize. And, again, this minimizes the doctrine of the resurrection, which denies water baptism, promotes ecumenism, you know, the, the song, um, Onward Christian Soldiers, one of the phrases in there is that we are not divided, all one body we. And again, how can you do that, you know, in 1 Corinthians 5, or 12, 25, you know, how can you, how can you be ecumenical and obey the scriptures, the separation doctrines, and it doesn't fit. Uh, but that's the push. It diminishes, number eight, church responsibility. 
So, who is a church? Why do I have to go listen to a pastor? I can stay home and listen to whoever. And that's what people do. I remember a guy that pastored in Mount Union, Pennsylvania for years, 20-some years, I think 29. And he had a guy right at the bottom of the hill down from the church who, who he had... You know, he'd visited him in the hospital. He'd visited his family. He'd, he did, you know, he did carry out a lot of ministry, but he wouldn't come to church. He followed Jerry Falwell. He listened to Jerry Falwell, the older Jerry Falwell. Anyway, he said one day he finally told him, if, if you're going to follow Jerry Falwell, why don't you have Jerry Falwell come do your funeral? Why don't you have him come marry your children? So he did. One of his children got married. He had Jerry Falwell do it for the price of $10,000. Uh, you know, what that does is diminish responsibility to the church. And it damages growth in God's people. Rather than have to face themselves through consistent preaching that brings conviction of sin, you can go somewhere else and start over. You know, Hebrews 10 very clearly tells us that we're to assemble together, and the purpose of assembling is to provoke one another unto love and good works. That word provoke means to stir up. And, you know, you miss if, you know, you know as well as I do, if you've, if you've listened to a sermon on the radio and you heard it in person, there, there's something you've missed out of that. It's not the same. There's an accountability there, it seems, that's missing, an authority. Uh... You know, when you're in a local church setting for a period of time, you know, there's an accountability that goes along with it to have your life examined. There's personal help. You don't get personal help with the radio. So those are the damaging effects of the universal church theory. Then I want you to notice also on number 11, the foundation of each church. And the foundation of the church of each church, is the word of God. Ephesians 2.20 says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So churches are built upon the apostles and prophets, and of course Christ being the chief cornerstone. But, but as we think about it, the apostles and prophets, uh, we know there were 12 apostles, but as we think about the prophets, here is a uh, Thayer's definition of prophets. The prophets that appeared in the apostolic age among the Christians, they were associated with the apostles. Chapter 3, verse 5 tells us that. It says, Which another age was not made known unto the sons of man, as is now revealed unto those holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So they're always associated with the apostles. And they discerned and did what was best for the Christian cause. Uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 1, you know, there were certain prophets and teachers, and they said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. They foretold certain future events. Now, Acts 11, 27, 21, 10, you have a prophet named Agabus. And Agabus said there was going to be a dearth in the area of Jerusalem or Judea in Acts chapter 11, and there was. Now, these are men that are speaking outside the Scriptures. Remember, they didn't have the Scriptures yet. Paul hadn't written his epistles yet. Luke hadn't written his gospel yet. So these, the apostles and prophets were giving to the churches 
the truth from God, but it was truth that was being revealed to them that had not yet been revealed in the written word. So they didn't have the Bible yet. So these are the men. And by the way, these are the men who will give us the scriptures. Uh, in chapter 21, verse 10, he's the one that told Paul, that he took a girdle and bound himself with it and said, they're going to bind this man at Jerusalem. That's Agabus. It says, and in the religious assemblies of the Christians, being suddenly seized by the Spirit, whose promptings, however, and this is very important, do not impair their self-government. These men did not speak out of control. They weren't. They didn't lose control of themselves. You know, you hear a lot about the charismatic people, you know, movement and Pentecostals, and and they just. I mean, uh, I forget that guy's name who um, barked like a dog and laughed like hyenas. You know, they're out of control. They're drunk in the spirit, they call it. And they can't control themselves. There's nothing like that with these prophets in the scriptures. They give utterance and glowing, exalted, but here's another something very important, intelligible language to those things which the Holy Spirit teaches, Spirit teaches them in which have power to instruct, comfort, encourage, rebuke, convict, stimulate their hearers. So, so they, did, they weren't out of control, and they spoke in intelligible language. They wouldn't speak in tongues, as it's so-called. No, they spoke in understandable language. That's what tongues is anyway. It's, it's an understandable language. And there's references here that, that, again, they're associated with. In 2 Peter 1.21, Peter says, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So these were the men, the apostles and prophets, that after Jesus passes off, goes back to heaven, they continue to speak, and then they start to write. And they're the ones that give us the New Testament scriptures, upon which we build a church. You see, our model and pattern for a church comes from the New Testament, what they wrote. That's how you're to build a church. And that's what Paul's saying here when he writes to Ephesians, and are built upon... Verse 19 also says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon a foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So it's, remember, it's through the apostles and the prophets that the word of God came. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So they gave us everything. Uh, you know, of course, they, they wrote the Gospels as well. But a lot of that is Jesus' actual teaching, and, they, and then they wrote it down later. But, but they have given us everything expounding upon what Jesus taught in the Gospels. Now, we also see, he says, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And a cornerstone is a point of origin. It's, it's the beginning. You know, again, the cornerstone is the first stone you lay in any building. And it is the reference point from which all other measurements and directions are taken. Everything is taken from that cornerstone. And Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Peter mentions that. I think it's in 2 Peter also. Uh, He is the rock. Matthew 16, 18. 1 Corinthians 10, 4. The rock that followed them. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.11, other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's the foundation or the chief cornerstone, and the apostles and prophets built on that stone. They built on Christ. Remember, what does Acts chapter 1 verse 1 say? It talks about all that Jesus began both to do and teach. 
you know, he's insinuating that the apostles and prophets are going to continue what he started or build on what he began. In other words, his work wasn't finished. It still isn't. We're doing it. Churches like us are doing it. We're still to be doing the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his work. He's the chief cornerstone. We're to build our churches on the Lord Jesus Christ, on his word, and what the apostles and prophets have given us in his word. And so that's the foundation of each church. Then we see also the purpose of each church. You know, they don't build buildings without a purpose. And here again, Ephesians 2, verse 21 and 22, it says, In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. You know, again, he, he compares a church to a building that's fitly framed together. And so... Uh, a, a church is a temple of God or a dwelling place of God. Again, if in 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 First uh, uh, Corinthians three sixteen, uh, Paul told the church at Corinth, and uh, uh, in First Corinthians three sixteen. Says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? And so he said, you are the temple of God. You know, and we see, uh, again, a pattern throughout the scripture of God's dwelling places. You know, when, when, when Moses erected the, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and, and when, they, when they, they set it, had everything set up and it was all finished, the Shekinah glory cloud of God covered that place. And that speaks of God's presence. So that was where Israel met with God. That's where his presence was, abode, his presence abode. And of course, you know, once they, Solomon built the temple and, and, and the, the priests pulled out the staves and everything from the, the Ark of the Covenant and, and withdrew from the holy place, again, the cloud filled the temple. Again, signifying this is where the presence of God is. This is where you meet with Him. Then on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit empowered those disciples, and it was like cloven tongues of fire. Again, speaks of the glory of God and the power of God. And, and what the Lord was saying is, this is where my dwelling place is. This is where my abode. And of course, Revelation 2.1 tells us he walks in the midst of his churches. So, a church inn is a temple or a dwelling place of God. Just like the tabernacle in the wilderness was God's dwelling place and Solomon's temple was God's dwelling place. So that's what a church is. And of course, he indwells each of us by the Holy Spirit as well. But, but there's a special uh, abode of God there where he meets with us in his church. A church is also the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, a pillar is a support, so the church is the support of truth. You know, we've been given the truth. The truth has been given to the churches. To the churches. Uh, 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, the Bible tells us we're to speak the truth in love. And the Lord's churches are to hold forth the truth. And we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and said, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in the Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God would have spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. So they were a church that was spreading the truth. They were a pillar of the truth. They were upholding the truth. And a church is a pillar or support of truth. It's also the ground of truth. The ground speaks of the foundation of truth. And so we are to, we, you know, in Matthew 28, 19, tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing uh, them and then, and then uh, teaching them to observe all things. And so we are to properly ground or to establish or to disciple those that believe. You know, I believe I've come to the conclusion that it is impossible for a person to be properly perfected. And that's a Bible word, means to be matured without a New Testament Baptist church. You know, oftentimes you see people that are outside the church, of course, they're, they're in disobedience to start with, but they, they get off in some odd belief or they're led astray. No, we, we, need, we need a New Testament church to be perfected. That's God's method. And there's no alternative. God doesn't give us any alternative for that. And so that's why it's so important we be in a church. You know, a universal church will leave you flawed, unperfected, and holding to some error. And again, I know from experience. You know, there was a lot of scriptures I couldn't make sense out of. Like 1 Corinthians 12, 25, 24, 25, 24, and 25. How do you make sense out of that in a universal church setting? Or... I could never have clearly explained to me the kingdom of God and the body of Christ and the church. Because they, with universal church theory, you're, you're, you're overlapping them. You know, you, there's, there's, you know there, there's a lot of synonyms there, which there isn't scripturally. Uh, parachurch ministries are started with an element of error. They have no biblical authority. And so, therefore, thereby, they are defective. You know, people will say, well, we do this for evangelism. Well, if you compromise the truth of the God of God for evangelism, you're compromising the truth. And so, as we conclude this, you know, it's the responsibility of churches to fulfill the Great Commission, which is to evangelize the lost, by preaching the gospel of the kingdom of Christ, this is the gospel of the kingdom, to disciple and baptize those who get saved, establishing New Testament churches, again, you know, teaching them to observe all things, so that they in turn will carry out the Great Commission. Now, this takes responsibility. You know, I like what Brother Bishop said. Remember the prayer letter he sent a couple months back about a some Spanish-speaking people that came to their church and approached him about starting a church in Delaware. And he said, well, I'd be interested in maybe starting a Bible study. He said, I'm not certain they know what the responsibilities that go along with a church. There are responsibilities of being a church member. 
Tenets for Growth for Effective Service, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 through 16, tells us that very clearly. Ephesians 4, verses 12 through 16 says, For the perfecting of the saints, this is why we, we assemble together, for the work of the ministry. You know, so the saints do the work of the ministry. The pastor don't do the work of the ministry. He has his part, he plays in it, but he doesn't do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is the work of the church. And every one of us have a part in that. For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. Now, he's talking about being fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supply. You may be a knee joint. You may be an arm joint. You may be a shoulder joint. You may be a neck joint. But you need all the joints to make the body function. And that's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about all the ministry. That must be the pastor and the deacons. Hmm. No, that's not what the Bible's teaching here. He gave some apostles and prophets, which are no longer, and evangelists, which are missionaries, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. In other words, for the instruction of the saints that do the work of the ministry. Uh, that's, 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 you know, and we see that here. That's evident here at Lighthouse Baptist Church, uh, which I praise the Lord. So, you know, so that, that you know, that, that requires responsibility, you know, uh, and giving, because there's also giving that we might fulfill the mandate to take the gospel worldwide. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we're supposed to go both to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the earth. How can we do that all at the same time? Send Dave to China? Or maybe Linda to India? No. Through missions. We partner with others. You know, and, and that requires, of course, giving. Of course, the ministry itself requires giving to sustain it, literature, and all those things that we do. Uh, and again, Jesus gave us basic instructions. I think of it this way. In the Gospels, Jesus gave us basic instructions and a pattern. He only had three and a half years. Three and a half. Yeah. Not four, three and a half. He had three and a half years. You're limited. He was limited with the time he had. But the apostles and prophets expanded or explained it in more detail. In the epistles, the letters to the churches, Romans to Revelation. Again, and Paul talked about that in Ephesians chapter 3 where he said it was given unto him to make known the mystery, verse 3, Ephesians 3, 3, uh, concerning the age of the churches. So you might say Jesus laid the foundation, the apostles and prophets built thereon. They expounded and explained it in more detail. We see this in the Old Testament also. You know, the law, the law of God can be summed up in Ten Commandments. But God spent Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy explaining those Ten Commandments and how they pertain and apply to life. What did he do? He expounded through Moses 
those Ten Commandments. This is how it applies to life. And so the apostles and prophets, basically that's what they did. They expounded upon what Jesus taught, explained it in more detail. This is how it applies to real life. And, of course, in the Old Testament we have, and, of course, in the New Testament as well, we have real living examples of how God applied his law and God, how, how God applies his teachings of the church in churches like Corinth, like Ephesus. We have real living examples. That's what God has given us through the apostles and prophets. And so, you know, a church, again, a church is a local, visible assembly. A local, visible body of believers joined together to carry out, to glorify God and carry out the commandments he's given us to take the gospel into all the world. You know, there's no greater work in this world than this. It, you know, it, you know, it, it's measure can only be measured in souls that will either spend an eternity in heaven or in hell. And that's what's in, that's what's, what's weighing here in the balance. And, but you know, we can, we can become lopsided in, 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 in like a lot of have done, let's, let's compromise a little bit for expedience of winning the lost. And God will have to withdraw himself from that because God cannot dwell with compromise. That's why we have to hold to the truth. You know, we don't find anywhere in the New Testament where he used gimmicks or salesmanship. No, he gave the truth, speaking the truth in love. And we need to hold to the truth. It is vitally important. As Jude said, we need to earnestly contend for the faith. That word faith there means the body of truth. Earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. It will never change. It is relevant for today. It will work. We just have to work it. Might God help us as a church to work the program that God has given us through his church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the simplicity of thy truth. Thank you for the privilege we have to be a part of your work here in this area. Father, I pray that you'd help us just to be faithful, help us to give out the gospel, help us, Father, live lives that are pleasing and honoring to thee. And uh, just pray that you'd help us to glorify you in all that we do. And hold fast to the faith that was once delivered. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.